you would, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11. And our text this morning will be verse 20, Hebrews 11, verse 20. And then you're going to want to have your finger in Genesis, and we'll be looking at Genesis 24 through 27. Uh, we come to what, what many note as one of the most complex stories in all of Scripture, and that is the blessing of Jacob and Esau from the hand of Isaac. And what we see through this and what we have to rest in, and because there's a lot of questions we may walk away uh, from the story that are going answered, we have to know that the entirety and throughout all of Scripture, when it presents us this complicated story, what we are presented with is the outworking of God's sovereignty working effectually through human sin, human frailty, uh, through deceitfulness, through lying. We see throughout all of those different things the power of God in accomplishing His plan. And in that we can take great comfort for we are sinners and we fall short. But yet we can take great comfort and joy that the Lord is working through us despite us. And so we see this in this movement this morning. We see just mainly two things. Who this patriarch of promise is, Isaac. And then we see what Isaac's pronouncement of future blessing is. And so verse 20 of Hebrews 11 reads, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, to understand the nature of verse 20 and why verse uh, 20 is even here in this hall of faith that's mentioned in Hebrews 11, we have to really contend with the story itself to see why it's mentioned and why it's important for us to note. So who is Isaac? Well, Isaac is the firstborn beloved son, the only son of Abraham. Now, Abraham had other children, but he only had one child of the promise. He only had one child by his wife, Sarah, and he is considered the only child. And Isaac, we saw, was that child that was going to be sacrificed, that would be slaughtered by Abraham. God himself had commanded that Abraham would take Isaac to uh, slaughter him and to offer him. And then we see in that story how God stopped him before doing it and counted Abraham as faithful. And then you come into the life of Isaac. And as you come into the life of Isaac, you almost scratch your head and say, I don't know anything about Isaac. Isaac lived longer than the other two patriarchs of Jacob and Abraham. But yet, he only contains maybe two and a half chapters in Genesis, and really the focus isn't so much on Isaac. It's more about those that are surrounding Isaac. You don't see him engaging in a lot of conversation. We don't see very much from him. In many ways, he serves as a transitional character between Abraham and Jacob. To, to say it in one way, I guess, we could say that he was a stepping stone to Jacob. So there's very little about Isaac, but yet what do we read in God's Word? It commends him for being a man of faith. Now, when, after the incident where Isaac is going to be sacrificed, 
We see him later in life where he's an aged man. And he's looking for a wife. So Abraham arranges for his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. And you can read of that story in chapter 24 of Genesis where the Lord arranges for his servant to find Rebekah. And Rebekah enters into the picture and, and takes a more primary role, more so than, than Isaac himself in many ways. And really the first introduction we have to Isaac and as being a man of faith is in, is in Genesis 24 and verse 63. And it's just a short little phrase, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. You might say, ask, well, how does that indicate anything of his faith? Well, most, most commentators uh, know that this is him reflecting upon the Word of God and thinking upon the Word of God. And many use this as an example for us that, that we likewise should be meditating upon the promises and the Word of God. And so, in other words, as Isaac goes out there and he's awaiting for his wife to come back, he's aware that he is the child of the promise, and he's awaiting to see the fulfillment of the promise come to, come to fruition in his own life with Rebekah. And so, as he goes out into the field, what's he meditating upon? He's meditating upon the promises of Christ and the Messiah. And that is beginning to come into the picture when Rebecca comes into his life. Well, he is married to Rebecca, and we see that she is barren. And you see another glimpse of his face, faith in, in chapter 25 and verse 20. It says this, is, And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Now notice what it says. 21, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. He's faced with a dilemma. He's been promised that nations will come from him because he has heard the word of God through his father Abraham. His wife is barren. How can this be if I'm supposed to be, through me, is supposed to come a lineage of nations? And so he takes it to the Lord. What becomes interesting about Isaac's life is as it begins to phase out from this point, we see his mistake as he doesn't do what he does here in verse 21. He stops seeking the Lord and asking the Lord to do things. He begins to think things into his own hands. And that's where we begin to see the other side, a glimpse to his other side. He is certainly a man of faith, but Scripture does not flatter the men of faith. The Scripture doesn't put them in a position and tell untruths about them, but actually paints them as very sinful people. And what is interesting is that while Rebekah is pregnant, we read in verse 22 of Genesis 25, the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. It's, the, it's Rebecca that the Lord communicates to and gives this promise. Now, he's 
going to reveal himself to Isaac in chapter 26 and confirm the promise to Isaac. But isn't it interesting that here it's Rebekah that the Lord, that Yahweh comes to. And so after they have the children, what becomes of Isaac? As a father, we see it in verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now that might seem humorous. He loved his son because he cooked him the best meals. That's what it says. But we actually need to read this for what it is. We, we all like good meals. That's not saying anything that's unique about Isaac. We all like to eat. We, we all like to enjoy food. That's nothing unique. That's nothing uh, abnormal about him. What this, we have to understand about this is this idea of love. Did he not love Jacob? Of course he loved Jacob. Jacob was his son. But he loves Esau more. That is, as he has a choice and a loyalty to Esau because of his passions and desires and cravings of things of this world are fulfilled for him and his son Esau. And that's what we have to see is that he has a spiritual blindness towards his son because of the cravings of the flesh. This is more than just him enjoying food. This is going beyond that, but this is that he's blinded to the very natures of his children. In fact, Scripture teaches us that Isaac is near blinded later on in the the text of Scripture in chapter 27, it says he's, he's, he's dim in his eyesight. And that is literally true, but we also have to recognize that that's telling us more than just a physical blindness. Actually, Isaac is spiritually blinded in many ways. If you think that that's a stretch on the Scripture, then just look what it says in Deuteronomy 34.7 about Moses and his eyes, and how vivid they were even into old age. It was a spiritual statement as well as a literal one. And so I believe that the text is teaching us that Isaac, yes, he is a man of faith. He trusts in the promises of God. He's spiritually dim. He's not at the top of the list of your heroic patriarchs. A.W. Pink says this about this, this verse here that he likes to eat of Esau's meat. He says, if we live to eat instead of eating to live. Think about what he says here. Let me read that again. If we live to eat instead of eating to live, our spiritual vision is bound to be defective. Discernment is a byproduct, the fruit and result of denying of self and following of Christ. In other words, so in more than just us seeing that he enjoyed food, of course he enjoyed food. We all enjoy food. He had a craving for carnal pleasures. That was what was the driving factor of his life, is that he had no self-denial, he had no discipline, 
but rather he sought the things of this world. And so what we have to see about Esau is these, these two things. Number one is that he's blinded to the character of his own children because of fleshly desires. And the second thing, he ignores ex the explicit word of God. So let's take those two things together. First of all, that he, he ignores the nature and the character of his children. Esau was the firstborn, and if you know anything about the firstborn, it means that they are to receive the inheritance and the blessing. That was customary. That's just common knowledge of us to know that. That's how society is, has always practiced it. And I'm, I'm glad we don't practice it now as being the second son. But that is how it's normally been practiced. And so Isaac would have told his children of the promise of the Messiah. He would have told his children about this promise. Yet when we come to Esau, who's the firstborn, who should be thinking, I'm the firstborn, through me will come the Messiah. That's what Esau has to be thinking as the firstborn, and his father has told him about the promise. Esau has to be thinking as the firstborn, the Messiah will come through me. But what do we read of Esau? Well, in chapter 25 in Genesis and verse 29, you read this story and you're familiar with it. Once when Jacob was cooking stew. So see, Jacob could cook too. Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus, this is the commentary. This is what God's word is telling us about what just took place. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Now you put this together. Esau was not starving to death. He may have been hungry, but the phrase really means this, I'm going to die sooner than later, what does it matter? That's a very crass translation that I just gave you, but that's the essence of it. He's not starving. We shouldn't see him as so famished that he's going to drop dead at any moment unless he gets some of Jacob's lentil stew. No, he's, he, he's, he's giving a sarcastic response. I, what does is, what is my birthright matter to me? I'm going to die anyways. And so what the scripture then comments on this is that he despised his birthright. And to despise his birthright is to despise the heritage of his fathers as being chosen and marked out and set aside by God. He despises that. He throws that all away for lentil stew. He demonstrated that hunger was more important than his birthright. And if he demonstrates that hunger is more important than his birthright and he despises that birthright, 
It means that he actually despises the line through which the Messiah would come. So as we see that he despised his birthright, we have to actually take that to its fullest conclusion as he despises the line of the Messiah. He despises the Lord Jesus. This is why Hebrews, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, when it recounts this story again, calls Esau at this moment unholy. Unholy. And so sometimes as you read the story, you almost have sympathy for Esau. Boy, that Jacob well, was a swindler, and he might have been. But actually, it's Esau. It's the one that is unholy. Rather than love the Messiah and look to the promise, he looks to his belly. wonder where he learned that from. Now, the other thing is this, is Isaac is blinded to his children. He didn't see these things because this is all before he blesses his children. All of these things are happening. He, he gets to watch his children grow. And if you have children, you see how each child is unique and you begin to see their character. You begin to see uh, their, their little natures emerge from them as they grow. Isaac's able to see all of this. But then also, he ignores the fact that Jacob, from the point of birth, was seeking the inheritance. From the moment of birth, what do we see when Jacob comes out? It says, Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. That verse is really significant. Because it shows us the nature of Jacob from, from the moment of birth is clinging to Esau. He's trying to actually already supplant him. You're not going to get the inheritance. You may think he's, a, he's an infant. How can an infant do this? Well, this is a special moment in history. But the text explicitly teaches us that Jacob from the beginning is trying to supplant his brother. It's Jacob that has a desire for the birthright. It's Jacob that's raising his hand and saying, let me be the line through which the Messiah comes. But then there's a second thing about Isaac, and that's this, is he ignores the word of God. Not only does he ignore the nature and character of his own children, but he ignores the explicit statements of the word of God. And that is seen in chapter 25, verse 23, where the Lord said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Yahweh appears in some form and speaks to Rebekah and how that how he spoke to her, we're not sure, but he speaks his word to her. Is it possible Rebecca shared this with Isaac? Absolutely she shared this with Isaac. As she's watching the children go, grow with Isaac, she has to have told him this with the unique birth of Jacob clinging to his hill. All of these things are happening and 
the Word of God confirms what's happened, but yet a carnal appetite blinds him to God's Word. So Isaac ignores what is apparent in the character and nature of his children, but then he also ignores the Word of God. He's blinded to the very Word of God. It's so often how we allow the desires of the flesh to interfere with the clear-spoken Word of God, isn't it? How often where the Word of God directs us in a certain way to conduct our lives according to its precepts, but yet it's so often that carnal desires cause us to desert the Word of God in blindness to the truth of God's Word. We are no better than Isaac. Isaac knows of the blessing. Isaac has been told of the promise. It's confirmed again to him in chapter 26, where God appears and tells him the same thing that he told Abraham. Through you will come the Messiah. And with all of that, that's before Isaac He tries and seeks to take things into his own hands rather than trusting in God. Now, remember what it says in Hebrews 11.20, By faith, Isaac pronounced of things to come over both of his sons. What are these? What is this pronouncement of blessing? Well, it begins to unfold in chapter 27 of Genesis. In verses 1 through 4, we see it comes to this point in Isaac's life where he's going to give the blessing. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he said, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, And go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat it, that my soul may bless you before I die. The the pivotal moment of Isaac's life for which he was even brought into this world, what drives his decision for this pivotal moment? Food. Fleshly desires. This is the moment for which he was born. He doesn't stop to pray. He certainly doesn't stop to fast. He focuses in on his hunger. He doesn't recount God's word. He doesn't go back out into the field as we saw him as he was waiting for Rebecca and go and meditate upon God's promises before he pronounces this blessing. Rather, he allows his carnal desires to supplant God's word in his life. And this is where the story becomes very complex. Rebecca hears this, and you know the story. She begins to take matters into her own hands. Rebecca is going to see that God's word is fulfilled by deception and by lying to her husband. 
And so before we even read of anything of Rebecca, we just have to ask this question, does she go when she's hearing of this and knows that Isaac is going to make a mistake? Does she go to remind Isaac of the word of God? Isaac, remember the promises. Remember that it is the younger that shall be blessed and not the older. Remember how Esau despised his birthright. You may love him because of what he provides, but remember the word of God. You love that more, don't you? She doesn't do any of that. We don't see that she prays and stops to ask the Lord to intervene. Actually, we see that she concocts this plan to deceive and lie to her husband. And then when you see the character of Jacob, that's in verse 12. When she tells of the story, she tells Jacob, we're going to put these, these furry coats on you so that you'll feel like your brother because your, your, your father's blind. He can't see, but he's going to fill you. And he, you know, Esau's hairy, so you need to feel hairy. Well, what is, what is Jacob's response? Verse 12 of 27, perhaps my father will fill me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. We ask yourself this question, what is Jacob's concern in that verse? Is Jacob's concern that he's lied to his father? Is Jacob's concern uh, that, that this is a deceitful practice and this is not a right and prudent way of doing things? No, his, his concern is, if I get caught, what are the consequences? That's what his concern is. His concerns are over the consequences of getting caught. And so when the plan begins to unfold, we see it unfold in, in verse 18. And I want you to read this, and I want you to count the lies in the text. Beginning in verse 18. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Four times he explicitly lies to his father. Four times. And what do we see in this? Rebecca deceives her husband to see the fulfillment of God's word take place. Jacob lies to his father to see the fulfillment of the promise take place. So while Jacob may have longed to be the promised heir, which we commend, what do we see of this scene through him? I mean, just plain and simple, we see a rascal. 
Your heart almost goes out to Isaac, but then at the same time, we remember that Isaac was spiritually dim and ignored the very word of God. And come on, Esau might have been hairy, but he, he's not that hairy that it confuses his father to this point. Now, what is the blessing that he gives? So Isaac gives the blessing in verse 27. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And then here comes the blessing in verse 28. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. This is the promise of land. This is the land promise that is promised to Abraham that will be later realized. And if you notice something about this, is that the land would produce grain, the land would produce fruit, that there would be wine, it will produce the fatness of the earth, that they will be well fed. This is a promise of the reverse of the curse upon the soil of the ground. And that is realized by Israel when they come into the land based upon their obedience to the Mosaic law. God blesses them with the fruit of the land. And when they were disobedient, what do you see as you read throughout Israel's history? Famine, death, all of those things unrealized. But as long as they were obedient and they were in the land, then God would promise them these things and they would realize these things, that they would recognize a reversal of the curse. And the land itself was to be basically a recreation of Eden. Well, they never experienced that fully. But then you see in verse 29, the rest of the blessing, let people serve you, nations bow down to you, be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the promise of a king. This is the promise not only of, of, of a, a vast progeny, but this is ultimately boils down to the promise of a king. This is the promise of the Messiah will come through you, Jacob. This is the promise of the Messiah. Now Hebrews teaches us that Isaac gives this as a blessing of things to come. of things to come. Was, was Isaac spiritually dim? Yes. Was Isaac a man of faith? Yes. He blesses his children according to the word of God concerning the future. Now what's interesting in this blessing is Scripture also tells us this about Isaac. Like his father Abraham, he was quite wealthy. When he blesses his, his children, he blesses them according to something he does not have. He blesses them to something that he has not realized. He does not bless them according to his own personal wealth, which they would presumably inherit. He doesn't do that, but he blesses them with something that's yet unseen. 
He owns nothing more than a grave in the promised land, yet he promises that this would be theirs. He pronounces that the land would be theirs. How does he do this? He did it by faith. He pronounced it by faith. When we read this blessing, what we have to see in this, and this is where the story is complex, everything that Isaac does here is by faith. When he gives the blessing, he's trusting in the promises of God, that God will bring this about. God said he would bring this about. But you, would, you, you might be questioning, how could he do this by faith if he's deceived? How could he do this by faith if he was so dim-witted in terms of his children and the word of God itself? Let me ask you, how great is your faith? Are you resting on your faith? Are you resting on your faith? If you're resting on your faith, you might not have a lot of assurance. Or do you rest upon the promises of God realized in the Messiah? So certainly we see blind spots in him. I want you to notice Isaac was blinded to the nature of Esau's character. He wrongly sought to bless Esau. He wrongly uh, uh, views the word of God. However, he blesses according to the word of God, and he then recognizes his heir. In verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered him, I am your, first, your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it? Then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Isaac shakes violently, what we have to understand about this, why does he shake violently? He shakes violently and trembles because he realized he had it wrong. He realized in that moment that God had overruled his dim-wittedness. And he shakes in awe of God. He shakes in the awe and the promises of God. And the phrase, yes, and he shall be blessed, is the confession of his faith. That is a confession of his absolute dependence and trust upon the word of God. So when you see through this that he is spiritually dim-witted, that he was deceived, he didn't do things as according to what he did, at the end of the day, what does he still believe? He still believes that God's word is true and will unfold and the Messiah will still come about. At the end of the day, through it all, Isaac trusts in the promises of God I think he shook violently because he recalled what God had told him in chapter 26 and verse 2. And the Lord appeared to him and said, 
Do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I think in that moment he stood in awe of God. And he shakes at the very thought of God's word. Now Hebrews does tell us, though, that he blessed both of his sons. He blessed both Jacob and Esau. Now to look at Esau's blessing, you, I want you to see it in verse 39 of chapter 27. It says this, Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, This is after Esau begged for a blessing. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, you might think this is not a blessing. But actually, when we read this, behold, away from the fatness of the land, the exact same Hebrew words are given in both blessings. May God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth. The exact same words in Hebrew are there as they are with Jacob as they are with Esau. And and for, for whatever reason, so many modern translations of it state it almost in the form of a curse, but Hebrews will not allow us to accept that. Hebrews states that it's actually a blessing, that you will have the fatness of the earth. You will have the fruit of the earth. The blessings are very similar. So how do we understand the difference? We have to understand them not according to worldly things, but actually according to the unseen things. Esau will be blessed in the things of this world, and he is. When we later meet Esau in the story between he and Jacob, what do we discover about Esau? He's rich. He's wealthy. He has many children. And we actually see that Jacob says, I'm your servant. So we actually see something different than sometimes what our English translation says here. Esau is blessed in the temporal things of this world. Jacob's blessing will reach its fulfillment eternally in Christ. Jacob's blessings are spiritual. Does Jacob become wealthy? Yes. But as he views the end of his life, he says, I have have suffered greatly in this life. So Isaac, by faith, pronounces future blessings, things unrealized, things unattained. And how does he do these? How does he does? Th- how does he do this? By faith. And what was his faith in? His faith in was was in the word of God. This is how we can say that he does this. So how, how do we deal with this story? The deceit, the lying. The dim-wittedness of Isaac. The character of Esau. There's a couple of things we have to acknowledge as we look back upon this story. And we see how Hebrews gives us as an example of faith. And you read this story, you go, how could this be an example of faith? 
Well, a couple of things to bear in mind. Rebecca, who takes front and center part of this story, one of the things that we see of her is Rebecca certainly has the mind of God. She understands the word of God, but she seeks to execute it in a deceitful manner. The scripture does not commend her for taking things or matters into her own hands. I want you to see Rebecca stands as an example of true faith fixed upon the promises of God, but she uses sinful ways and wrong means for the attainment of faith. So how, how do we go about things that we believe are right or according to the word of God? Because we cannot commend Rebecca for how she handles things. We can commend her for being a person of faith that saw the promises and trusted in the promises. How do we go about things? Do we do them in an orderly and faithful manner or do we let our emotions and passions control us to the detriment of we, what we believe is God's word? When we do that, actually... We discount what we want to others. So the means used actually matter. And there's something, though, encouraging here, though. We're all a lot like Rebecca. We're a lot like Jacob. We're a lot like Isaac. And in other words, when I say we're a lot like them, we are sinners. We're sinful people. And sometimes we make decisions because it tastes good. Just like Isaac did. But here's the truth. If you are in Christ, you still live in the world and wrestle with the desires of the flesh. But the Lord still accomplishes his sovereign plan through weak and fragile vessels. And if you see yourself as anything other than a weak and fragile vessel, then you have a pride problem. Because God does not need us. And the, the, the reality is this, and this is not a, a license to say, I'll just do whatever I want. It actually should be what motivates us to follow God's word, is that you can't mess up God's plan. You can mess up your life, you can mess up the lives of other people, but God's plan is going to happen. This is why Paul says this of us. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That is, we are very ordinary but God is great and God is powerful and God accomplishes His will through the most ordinary, normal people. Isaac's plans and his worldly desires did not overrule the plan of God. And why is that? Because you can't overrule the plan of God. Why does Scripture paint this side of these people for us. One simple reason is we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works, and I know you know that. But we need to 
contend with that constantly because the flesh always moves into a works-based system. We contribute nothing to our salvation. Now the story of Esau and Jacob is not only perplexing, but when you look at the story in its totality throughout Scripture, we see it serves in Scripture as the mysterious working of God in the salvation of a people. What do I mean by that? Well, just very simply, Malachi chapter 1 says this in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. That's pretty hard to argue with in terms of God's sovereign choice of Jacob over Esau. In fact, Paul uses this as his example of God's sovereign election of a people. In Romans, in chapter 9, in verse 10, it says, Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Why did God choose Jacob and not Esau when you read that Jacob was a rascal? Well, here's the reality. There's no one in Scripture except for a man named Jesus that isn't a rascal. All of us alike are. But for God, we would all be deceitful, lying people like Jacob. But for God, we would all despise the heritage of the Messiah. And there's a greater picture for us to see, and I want us to see it, and that is this. Esau was the older brother, and Jacob only garnered the father's blessing by putting on the clothing of his older brother. And we too must seek our father's blessing of eternal life by wearing the garment of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, and be clothed in our elder brother's righteousness. And apart from that, we receive no blessing of eternal life. And so let us stand in the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereign election of a people. We thank you for your perfect, immutable plan. And though we cannot understand the mystery of your workings and how you work all things, we do know that you are sovereign over all things. And in that, we have such great comfort Father, I pray for any that may not have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, that they would call upon him by faith now. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we would grow in our faith and trust in your sovereign plan. And Father, we anticipate the return of your Son. We pray that you would haste that day, that the Lord would return soon. 
We desire the return of our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.